0: who breaks the power who breaks the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves his brethren all in awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. I would be set free No, Jesus, I sing for All that you've done for me Who brings our chaos Back into order Who makes the orphan A son and daughter The King of glory The King above all kings rules the nations who rules the nations the truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance the king of glory the king above all kings and this is amazing grace this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place you would bear my cross, oh yeah, you laid down your life, then I would be set free, and oh Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me, this next part talks about the lamb being worthy, and worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy is the king who conquered the grave worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy is the king who conquered the grave we'll with boldness this morning worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy is the king who conquered the grave worthy is the lamb who was slain you are worthy worthy This is unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You lay down your life, that I would be sent for me. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. come, God I come return to the Lord the one who's broken, the one who's torn me apart you strike down to bind me up you say you do it all in love that I might know you in your suffering and though you say fail, the earth below gives way, but with my eyes, with my eyes, I see the Lord lifted high on that day, lifted high upon that day, behold the Lamb that was slain, and I know that every tear is worth it all, and though you say. crying out let this cup pass from me now you're still more than I need you're enough floor for me you're enough I need Sing a song to the one who's all I need Amen. Thank you, Lord, for taking things away we don't need and giving us things we do. What can wash away my sins Nothing but the blood of Jesus And what can make me whole again Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow That makes me white as snow but the blood of Jesus for my cleansing this I plead nothing but the blood but the blood of jesus it's not of good that i have done nothing but the blood This is all my hope and peace Nothing but the blood of Jesus and This is all my righteousness Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow in that makes me white as snow, no other fountain I know, in nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let us pray. God, our Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for another wonderful day, God. As we take this offering, Father, and as we continue in worship, I pray we would hear what you'd have to say from your gospel, Father, and we would just take it and uh, apply it to our lives, that we would hide it in our heart. Hanging on our doorstep so that we may know who You are and that others may know as well. It's in Your holy name I pray.
1: this morning, Colossians chapter three, we're going to be looking at verses 18 uh, through four through one, and what we're going to see in all this is um, really just three relationships that we find in life. Uh, the first one is husband and wives, and so uh, men and uh, so I was thinking as y'all were throwing punches back there this morning, uh, how brave some of you men are. But um, well, we're going to be talking about husband and wives. Uh, And then after that, we're going to address parents and children. And then the third thing we're going to look at is masters and slaves. Uh, And really what I want to put in context for all of this is this idea. And I'm just really amazed uh, at God's timing, because as you preach through books, you really don't know how it's all going to work out. But uh, Wednesday night, we finished our study on marriage. Uh, and in that study on marriage, really what we talked about was how God has ordained marriage between man and woman, uh, but in the way we live our lives in our marriages and raise our kids should be in such a way that brings glory, honor, and praise to God and shares the gospel with those around us. And so we're preaching this morning on, on exactly that, on marriage, uh, on raising kids, and on the way that we live our lives through our work settings. Um, so really excited about preaching this, and I'm going to try to do it. Uh, quickly. Uh, I'm not going to promise to do it quickly, but I'm going to try to do it quickly. Um, But I wanted to go ahead and uh, I'm going to explain this in detail later. Uh, But when we see this idea of slave and master, uh, the best way that we can apply this principle to our lives this evening and just in our modern day is the idea of employee-employer relationship. And I'm going to explain why that is the case when we get to that part of the scripture. Um, but before we get into that, what we see this morning is uh, several dynamics and several roles that people play. Um, and is, has anybody heard of the expression that you wear multiple hats? You may wear the hat of a father or a hat of a or, um I think, of, I, I, I think of a lot of you that volunteer in the fire department and work jobs and come to church and, and are married and have kids. You know, you wear the role of a, a volunteer fire department guy. You wear, wear the role as a, a father, the role of a, whatever your job is. You wear the role of a, a husband, of, of a, God, a child of God. And as, as wives, you know, you wear hats as well. And this morning, we're going to look at different hats that people wear in this life. Uh, And really what we're going to see is that regardless of our roles, if it be the husband, the wives, a parent, a child, the master or slave, we're to fulfill them from the heart because when we do, we glorify our God. And ultimately, that's what it all boils down to. We do all of this because it glorifies God. And this is something we've talked about in the marriage aspect of uh, over the last two months on our Wednesday night study, but we're going to look at it in every aspect of life today. So if you would... Let's pray, and then we'll read all of the scripture, and then we'll go back and look at different sections one at a time. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. God, I just pray right now that you take me, God, and you hide me behind your cross. God, that the words I say be built upon your word, God. Not on James' word, not on my knowledge, not on my wisdom, not on my strength, God. But completely on yours and yours alone, God. Because I know I'm not a perfect husband. I know I don't have a perfect wife, God. I know that I'm not a father. I don't know what it's like. I don't have children. I know when I was raised, I was not a perfect child. I was not a perfect son, God. And then when I look at it as an employee and, employee and employer racial relationship, God, I'm not an employer, God. I'm, I'm not the perfect employee either, God. But what I can base on and what I can stand on this morning is what you say to your church this morning in, first, in Colossians chapter 3. And so, God, I pray as we open up your word and we break it down this morning, God, that you convict our hearts where you feel fit, you correct us where you feel fit, God, and that when we leave here today, we be doers of your word and not hearers only, God, that we make the changes in your strength that we need to make, God. Not in our own strength, not in our own ability, not not to earn anything, God, but because we see where you desire for us to be somewhere different and we change, God. We love you, we praise you, and we glorify you. Your son's perfect and holy name. Amen. So if you would, let's look at all of the verses together real quick. He says this. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord, in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't uh, be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents and everything for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not expirate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while watched as people pleasing pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord, not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward of inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. From, for the wrongdoer will pay back for the, whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal well with your slaves, justly and fairly, since you know that you have a master in heaven. So when we read all of this, in the whole picture is that we are all called to fulfill something for a purpose. He gives us the reasoning in every area of this, but ultimately it's to bring glory to God, as we're, to share the gospel in this life. So first, let's look at the idea of husband and wives. He says, first and foremost, in verse 18, he says, wives... Um, Now I want to say this little thing before I get into it. Wives, you are called to be this regardless of how your husband acts. And husbands, as we get to you in a minute, you are called to do this regardless of how your wife acts. So first let's look at wives. He says, submit yourself to your husbands. This is something that... Um, If we're just going to be really honest, this is something that a lot of people probably struggle with, and especially in today's society, where we think that wives don't, we don't need a husband, right? We think, uh, I was actually watching a video on The View, uh, of The View, a TV show, and it was talking about how uh, uh, men are only good for a few things. And this is just a horrible mindset. So this idea, first and foremost, is to submit yourself to your husband's. Uh, really, to identify and to explain what it means to submit, I, I looked up the definition. It means the act of subjecting or subordinating. Uh, did that help y'all out? Any? It didn't me when I read it. I'm gonna be honest. When I read it, to subject or to subordinate, I'm like, well, that really just didn't define define it for me. That just told me even more what it's supposed to be. But really, it's this idea that you are to follow your husbands as they are meant to be the spiritual leaders in your household to submit yourself to their leadership as God has ordained it to be that way. Um, but I want to I define it even more. This does not mean or suggest slavery or servitude. Uh, and it certainly does not cause the, call the husband to make his wife submit. This has got to come out of the, the freeing that the wife has to freely do this. This doesn't come from the husband demanding submission, but the wife submits because she feels as this is her servitude to the Lord, as we're going to look at in a minute. So this isn't that the the wife does everything that the husband says. This isn't this idea that when your husband gets home from work or let let me reverse these roles. This doesn't mean that you husbands, when you get home from work, there has to be a meat and two vegetables with a biscuit on the plate waiting for you at dinner, right? This doesn't mean that your wife has to do everything you ask her to do. That is not what submission is. Submission is something that we misuse and misconstrued all the time in life. We see denominations in Christian life that don't allow women to speak or give their opinion or to even voice any thought when it comes to decisions based on this right here. And that is a misconception. The submission of a wife does not make her worse or less worthy or even smaller than her husband. It is the same uh, husband and wife are equal. They just have different roles. So first and foremost, the next thing we see is that it does not necessarily mean a complete obedience either. It doesn't mean that the wife will obey the husband in every area of life. Because if you're going to be honest, there may be times that your husband asks you to do things that are against God's word. I don't want to give any definition of that or any examples of that. But there may be times that your husband asks you to do something. And it may be against what God's word says. And then therefore you do not submit to that. You stand away from that. You stand up for that. And then he goes on and he says, as this is fitting to the Lord. Submission is a matter of Christian commitment. You submit to your husband because you've come to Christ in salvation. You submit to your husband because this is fitting to the Lord. That this is how you serve the Lord. You submit to your husband because you're submitting to Christ first. So really when we see this idea of submission that a wife must undergo to her husband is submitting to their authority to lead the family voluntarily, that you voluntarily submit yourself to your husband as he leads the family because their commitment to Christ, because your commitment to Christ, you follow after your husband because you trust in God to lead your husband, that you trust in your God if he's following Christ to lead your family, and you trust in God that if your husband isn't following after Jesus like he should, that you trust that that God will direct your husband's steps even when your husband doesn't realize it. This does not mean that you submit to your husband in every area of life, especially when he comes against God. And nor does it mean that husbands demand submission. This is an issue I think happens all the time as men demand submission rather than realizing that all they can do is fulfill their end of the bargain. And this is the same thing for wives. Wives don't submit because they don't think their husbands deserve it. But what I want us to get from this is that you're submitting to the authority that God has placed of your husband, regardless of your husband's character or deserving of it, because you're submitting to Christ when you do this. And then husbands, we're going to look at what your role is. And to me, I think this is just as equally hard for men to do as it is for women to submit to their husbands at times. And he says it's very plain and simple. He says, To love your wives, he says, Husband, love your wives. And if you're here and you're a man, you are your first instinct is to say, of course I love my wife. Of course I love them, and that's why I married them, and that's why I go and I work and I provide, I do these things. And you are loving your spouse, you are loving your wife when you do these things. But when he's talking about love here, he uses a Greek word called agape. Agape. And agape, uh, a lot of people would like to say it means unconditional, and it does, but it's also more in depth than that. Agape is this kind of love that's more than a sexual or natural affection for your spouse. It's an intellectual and purposeful, tender, compassionate love that is sacrificial for their wives. You're called to love your wives in more than just providing for them. You're called to love your wife in such a way that your wife feels loved. And this is the reality, as we jokingly said before, it's a woman thing, right? Men are different than women. Let's just, let's throw it out there. That's just a reality, right? Me, I can feel loved if I don't talk to, if I can sit in the room with Sarah and we don't have a single conversation, I can feel loved in that moment, Right? But sometimes women aren't like that. Not all women, but sometimes women, they like to talk about your day. They want to conversate. They want to discuss how everything went. Sometimes what food you ate and all of that. But women, your wife, men, I want you to know is that your wife feels loved in certain ways. If that be taking her out on a date or if that be talking with her or spending time with her. If that be the little things. See, so often men, we think that we we do a good job because we sacrifice a lot of things, right? We sacrifice what we want to do sometimes. We work hard, we provide, we do all the things, these things, and we should do those. But our love has to go farther than that. Um, Our love has to be in such a way that your wife feels loved. You know your wife, I don't. You know what that means, I don't. I know what it means for my wife, and she's not in here, so I can say it boldly. Uh, Sarah likes fat-free fudge cookies that you buy from the dollar store. I don't know what they're called. Um, She thinks because they're fat-free they're healthy, but we all know that's not the case. Uh, But she loves those things, and she likes candy and things of that nature. And so when she has a bad day, I try to think, well, I'm going to go buy her something. That make her day a little better when she gets home. Now, I'm not standing here to say I do that all the time, because I don't. I'm not a perfect husband by no stretch of the imagination. But I have to show her the, the love that, that, that God is calling me to in the way that she will understand it. For me, I'd rather do big things for her, but Sarah's the type Well, she likes little things at times. You know, your hu- wives love your wives in such a way that they feel loved. And, and, and that's just a reality. That's just something that we, we miss sometimes as men. Because we're one-track minded. We think that it's got to be one way or another. But love your wives in such a way that they feel loved. So ultimately, we see that a husband is called to love his wife sacrificially, willing to give his life up for her but it's just it must go farther it should be in such a way that makes your wife feel loved this is because Christ is our example of love for he loved us and fulfilled our greatest need which was salvation from our sin the biggest way we needed to feel loved in this life is to being saved from our sins if we realize it or not and this is the example Christ has laid out for us as husbands and when you read Paul's other letters he tells us to love your wife as Christ loved the church and so husbands you're called to love your wife because christ is our example and that's how much he loved us and being sacrificial sometimes it means more than just the big things Um, it means more than taking a bullet for your wife It it means more than jumping and knocking her out in front of her car it means washing the dishes if that's how she feels loved it means taking care of the kids if that's how she feels love. It means washing her car. It means allowing her to park in the garage. It means little things at times. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and do it regardless of how she acts. Sorry, women, but I got to say it. Women can be moody at times, right? You women will admit it. Y'all know. Women can be, they can be indifferent. They. they, they can. I, anyway, y'all, y'all touched on a lot of it beforehand. Um, women can be difficult at times. Right, men, you agree? But regardless, you're supposed to love your wife. It doesn't matter how she treats you. You love your wife as Christ loved the church and wives. It doesn't matter if your husband doesn't deserve for you to submit to him. You submit to him because you are submitting to Christ. We do this not based on our, our spouse's qualification, but on Christ's qualifications. So as we move on, let's look at parents and children. First, he addresses children, and the first thing I want to say about this is that when he says children here, he he doesn't mean, uh, like I'll I'll use Matt, for example, this morning, he doesn't mean someone in Matt's case, right? Because Matt is always going to be Wayne and Deborah's baby boy, right? Regardless if they got James Elliott or not, Matt's always the baby boy. Actually, Chase is, but you're, you know what I mean. Um, but he's not talking about somebody in Matt's context, because Matt has grown. He's got a family of his own. He lives out. He lives on his own. What he's talking about, he was children, little children. He's talking about people in our context. When we think of this, think of somebody in high school or maybe even to a college age and they still live at home and down. He's talking about children that live in the household. He's not talking about your child. He's talking about children itself. And so he says this in 20 and 21, he says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not expirate your children so they will become discouraged. First and foremost, he's talking to children. He says, obey your parents in all things. This is different than a wife's submission to the husband. A wife's submission to the husband is is optional when the husband is calling her to do something that is against God's word. But the, the child, as Paul is saying here, and I know this may be difficult for us to swallow, Paul is saying that the child is to submit to their father and mother regardless of the situation, regardless of what's going on. And this may seem hard for some of you to think about, but I've seen it in youth ministry when parents will, will ground their kids from church if they did something wrong. And so when I think of this in this context, and that's against God's word, I would say, right? But is that child supposed to run away home from home, go to church? No, right? That's disobeying their parents. And that's just going to cause more problems than any. He's saying here that a child is to obey their parents in all things. And the reasoning he gives is because this is pleasing to God. This is how they can bring more glory and honor to God in all things is by obeying their parents and listening to their parents. And why I wanted to make the distinction of a child uh, and children is because when we think of a child, we think that we always respect our parents, right? If they're 80 and we're 60, we respect our parents. Uh, but what he's talking about here is not the same relationship. He's talking about we obey our parents when we live under our parents' household because we are simply their children and we obey because God, is this is pleasing to God and As you get older, I want you to know that you still listen to your parents. You still take their wisdom and their knowledge. When you read Proverbs, uh, Samuel especially, he says, listen to your father. Listen to the wisdom of your father. You listen to your parents even as you grow out of this. But children themselves as a child is to obey their parents because this brings glory of God. The next thing. I wanted to run through that one real quick because we don't have any children in the household right now. Um, we had Lily, but she's over there now. So we'll run through that one quickly. But the next one is parents. And when you read verse 21, you see this word father. Um, and so when you think about this, you think he's just talking about fathers in general, not fathers and mothers. Uh, but when you look at this Greek word, it's the Greek word pater. And I I may not be pronouncing that right. But in our translation is P-A-T, a a funny looking E and R. So it's P-A-T-A-R. In P-A-T-A-R, it translates to father, but it does not exclude the mother. So what it's talking about is that ultimately the father is the spiritual leader of the household and to lead his children. But it's including mothers. It's talking about parents in this context. And so he's saying parents do not provoke your children. And when we think about this word provoke, this is actually a very complicated word, uh, and I really didn't understand all that it meant. And it, means a, it can mean a hundred different things, and I named some of them, and I want to give them to you right now. It says to provoke means to irritate, to cause, to anger, to make resentful, to nag, to overcorrect, or to have unreasonable demand. He's saying, parents, do not expect too much from your kids. Don't nag your kids. Don't overcorrect. Don't cause them to be angry. Don't, don't irritate them. And when we think about this, this is what Paul is saying to parents in this. And so there's got to be some truth to this. That parents can do this at times. And the big one I think about is the unreasonable demands. that A lot of times parents, it's naturally, uh, natural for you to want the best from your kids. So what you end up doing is you, you demand more than they can actually put out. I think about little league baseball and little league football. They expect their kids to be uh, Cam Newton or whoever you want to think of that's in professionals. I don't know why I thought of Cam because I don't like Cam. But uh, first one that came to mind, you, you expect them to, to, to act like this professional football player and you have these unreasonable demands of them. And all it's going to do is push them away. And that's why I've seen it time and time again. And this is just an example. Sports isn't what it's talking about here. But you see kids that grow up. uh, Me and Jamie went to high school with this guy. His name was uh, Daniel Williams. They called him Wolf because he was big and hairy. And he was like 6'6 and weighed like 300 pounds. And he would have been a beast on the football field. But because his dad made him play football as a kid, he hated it. And so he was just a big old teddy bear. He couldn't hit, he couldn't take a hit, he couldn't do none of it. Because his, his dad pushed him so hard that it discouraged him. And that's just an example. And I'm sorry I said that loud, Daniel. If you might listen, I doubt it. But uh, I said, you know, I, I think of this example... Because the same thing can happen in regular day-to-day life. We can push our kids. We can nag our kids. We can want too much from our kids. And it's going to push them away. And I think about it in the context of pastors a lot of times. Pastors end up just expecting more from their kids than their kids can really put out. Or the church expects more from the kids. And so what happens is PKs get known for what? Acting bad. We all know it, right? That's a PK they act bad. Uh, and you know, and then they, and Deacon's kids too, right? Uh, they, there you go, Matt. Jessica's not here, so I would call her out, but she's not here. Uh, or Troy, he's a, he's a PK. Look at him. Um, I hope he don't have bad. I really don't think he does. But uh, anyway, uh, we get this idea that, you know, when we push our kids and we expect too much of them when it comes to God's word and, and following after Christ, we can do the same thing for them as well. And, but I want us to be clear about something as we talk about this. Well, it's not talking about not disciplining your kids. It's not talking about not guiding your kids, not leading your kids. It's talking about the way that in which we do it. Don't do it in a provoking way. Don't do it in a way that's going to irritate or push them away. Do it lovingly and do it in a way that God would have. Because you have to discipline your kids. It's just plain and simple. Some people may disagree if you use a belt or not. Some people may say you just need verbal, but in reality, let's just be honest, I'll tell you my heart, you you have to spank your kids at some point in life. It just has to happen. I've never met a kid that didn't need it, okay? But you also have to correct verbally every time. But when you think about this idea of correcting, if you just spank your kids and you don't tell them what they did wrong or correct them verbally, then what you're doing is you're provoking your kids. You're just causing them to be angry. So teach your kids, guide your kids in a way that's not provoking or leads to discouragement, but in a way that leads to Christ. Then I want to real quickly, hopefully, I'm going to address this idea of master and slave. Um, When we read this, we're going to see this, the two words, we're going to see slave and we're going to see master. Uh, And when we read this, a lot of times we put it in our context, we read it in the context of America, right? And in America, we, we can admit it or we can deny it however you want, but you can't really deny it. America is known for the, at some point in its history, they had slaves. Alright, and let's just be honest, those slaveries was based on uh, what would happen is that people would go to a different land, if it be uh, mainly Africa at the time, but they, before that they actually enslaved Native Americans and they didn't work hard and they ended up dying too quick, so they, they left and they went to Africa, America, and they went to other countries as well, and they enslaved different races and groups of people, a lot of times either by deception, by telling them that they were going to have a better life, and then they lied to them, or they, they Stole them and, they, they, and the or their people sold them into slavery. But regardless, it was a deceptive thing. It was a wrong thing. And when we think of slavery, we think of that. Um, and this is just a side note. I just want to make this and It has nothing to do with the sermon this morning. Uh, if you realize it or not, uh, slavery is larger today in America than it has ever been. But it's not the slavery that we had in our past. It's the sex slave. And when you think of sex slave, I know we don't think of it a lot of time, but you have women and children that are stolen and kidnapped into sex uh, slavery. And what happens is they are forced to perform acts uh, all over the world. And why that's so significant is that Birmingham is one of the top ten cities in the United States that traffic is. uh, I-65 is one of the biggest issues of it all. And so slavery still exists, but uh, that's just a side note. I don't even know why I said that. But when we think of slavery in our time and connecting it to this time, well, slavery in America was just something that was just brutal. It was forced. It was wrong. Uh, and I'm not saying that slavery in the New Testament was exactly correct either. But what we do see that was, it was different. It was more of this idea of in our history, at one time we had something called sharecroppers. And it was a little different. Sharecroppers would be people that would live on somebody's property and work for them. And they would get a portion of the goods or they would make a little bit of money. Uh, in the New Testament, this form of slavery was more like that. These people would either be serving a debt to their, their, their country or to this individual. Or they would be working for someone and they would, have, uh, they would get a wage from it. Uh, and so slavery, as he's addressing here, was a little different than what we think about a lot of times. And so when we think of it, it's easier for us to apply it in the principle of the employee and employer relationship. Because these people, most of the times, would have been paid and treated rightly. But what we see in all this is apparently there was an issue going on where the slaves weren't working like they were supposed to. And then the slave masters weren't treating them like they were supposed to. So there were issues going on, but this is more the format of slavery in the New Testament. And I just had to explain that because if I don't explain it, it just seems like we're talking about slaves and, and, and masters and then we, we have no context. Um, but really, let's look at the first one is slaves. And it's verses 21 through 25. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to tackle uh, different sections of it. He says, first, slaves obey all things. Um, and this is this idea that just as children were to obey their parents in all things slaves were to obey their masters in all things that in all circumstances they were to do what these masters called them to do while they were working while they were spending time there regardless of the situation if it be above or below their pay grade they were to do it Uh, this is what Paul is advertising and telling them to do and then the issue was a lot of times he says not with eye service but in fear of God Paul was saying, look, when you work, you've got to work to the glory of God. You've got to work in such a way that regardless of who is watching, if your slave master is watching or not, you've got to work diligently for the Lord. And this is what he's telling the slaves to do, to work diligently regardless of who is watching, because this is asked to the Lord, not to men. They were serving God as they were serving their masters. Slaves were to work with all sincerity because they were serving God first and foremost and masters second. So in this, our context, I just wanted to go over that real quick because our context is more of this employee relationship. And most of us are employed here. Um, and so this context of employee relationship, what does it mean? It means that regardless of what we're asked to do, unless it's completely against God's word, we do it. That means that if I'm, I work for the post office. Y'all, I think everybody knows that. I work for the post office. I work by myself. And part of my job description is to mop the floors and clean the toilets. I hate doing, I hate sweeping and I hate mopping. That's the two worst things that I hate doing in this life. Because when I worked at Jack's, I had to do it all the time. But I have to do that, right? Even though I hate doing that because my employee says, James, you got to keep this office clean. That's my job responsibility. I have to do that. And the reality is people don't come to my office often. My postmaster come twice since I've worked there in the past year. So, I could do it. I can get away with it, right? I cannot clean. I cannot do this. Uh, somebody may call and complain, but in reality, I could do this when somebody's not watching. Or I can do as Paul is saying here and to understand that my work is to glorify God first and then my boss second. That I have to give it all to God and let my work glorify God so that when people see me as an employee, they see a man of God, not that, that worker that doesn't want to sweep him off the floors. So what Paul is saying is that when you're working, work diligently. Work from the heart. Regardless of who is watching, work to the glory of God no matter what. No matter what, work to God's glory when you're at your job. Then he goes on and he talks about masters. And he's got different sections of it. But he says, give give your slaves what is just and right. Um... He says, masters were to treat their wives with justice and fairly. This was meant treating them correctly, paying their wages, treating them with respect, not speaking down to them, simply treating them as humans and not hired hands. And he says, knowing that you have a master, the reason why masters were to treat their slaves correctly and their servants correctly is because they had a master in heaven that that dictated everything that they did. So masters were to treat their slaves rightly and fairly for this broad glory to God. So when you think of master, I want us to think of the employer. Uh, and I, as I prayed this morning, I don't want to assume I know anything about running a business or having people underneath me. Uh, as I am as um, employed, I don't. I don't know what it's like. I don't know how to run a business. I don't know how it is to have someone underneath me in authority because I'm the bottom man of the totem pole of the United States Postal Service in Amory, Mississippi. I was hired last. I'm the dead bottom, right? It doesn't get any belower than me. Uh, and so I don't know what it's like to own a business or to do this, but what I see in Scripture is plain and clear. And he says, look, treat your employees with just and fair." treat them justly and fairly, then pay their wages, take care of them, treat them with respect, ultimately uh, treat them as humans because that you answer to God Almighty. And the way you treat your employees is to bring glory to God, just as your employees is to work to the glory of God, the way you treat your employees is to bring glory to God. So as we look at all of these things, I want to look at two more things and then we'll end. It's why we do all of this and how we do all of this. And this is simple. We do it. Why we do it, look with me on verse 17. We looked at this last week, but I want to look at it one more time. It says, Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of you, Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It says, do everything you do in word or in deed in everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. We do this, right? We are the wives we are called to be. We are the husbands we're called to be. We're the children, the parents, the employee, the employers that we are called to be. Because what scripture tells us is that everything we do should bring glory to God because God has saved us from our sins. Because he says, thanks to God the Father through him. We are to do all of these things because God has freely saved us. As we sing in the third song, we are saved by nothing but the blood of Christ. And thus, we serve God in the hats we wear to bring glory to him. And it doesn't matter how we're treated. It doesn't matter uh, the other person's responsibility. You do it because God has saved you. And how do we do it? Because let's just be honest. It's hard, right? And don't look at your wives or your husbands when I say this. But hu- wives, you know your husbands can be stubborn at times. They don't listen to your advice. They don't, they don't, they don't listen to you at times. Your husband's stubborn, right? We all agree. While husbands, your wives can be get on your nerves a little bit every now and then, right? They can be a little more needy than you want them to be at times. They, they, can, they can do something that you don't like sometimes. Is anybody's children in here except for James Elliott? All right. Y'all can be honest, those that raised your kids and those that are still raising your kids. Your kids can get on your nerves at times, right? Let's just be honest. Y'all can be honest for a minute. Even after they're grown, right? Sorry, Matt. Uh, Even after they're grown, they can get on your nerves at times, right? Uh, And then I think about the employee, you know. Sometimes your your boss don't treat you right. Sometimes the the organization just doesn't make sense. Sometimes the way they do things, you want to do it differently because you think it's more efficient. Or maybe you're an employer and you're thinking, sometimes your employees, you just want to fire them all and start all over again. Or sometimes you're looking at that one and you're like, you really just don't get it. Regardless of how they act, regardless of what they do in any of these areas of life, you do it because God has saved you and you bring Him glory in all areas of life. And you do it when it's hard by Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive my power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You do it in the power of God. You do it in the power of God's Spirit. You can't do it on your own. You can't survive. You can't live life without God's Spirit guiding you and leading you and empowering you to do so. Because the rest of that verse, he says, And then you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, uh, I'm missing one of them, and then all of the ends of the earth. And he says this because, in all, and why that's so important this morning, he says you received the power of God when the Holy Spirit came in you. When you come to Christ, and the Holy Spirit now dwells in you. You have the power of God living within you. And now you can be His witness when your husband doesn't treat you right. When your wife doesn't treat you right, right. When your kids are just getting on your last nerves and you just don't know what to do. Or when your your parents just don't understand. Or when your employer is just treating you bad. Or, or when your employees just won't do what you ask them to do. You 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 press on and you fulfill your role in this area of life in this relationship by trusting in God's Spirit to sanctify, to teach you, to grow you, to give you the strength to fulfill it. You can't do it in your own strength. If you do it in your own strength, you snap on your husband you do it in your own strength, you snap on your wife. you do it in your own strength, you're disrespectful to your parents. you do it in your own strength, you yell at your kids in such a way that you shouldn't. When you do it in your own strength, you quit your job and you shouldn't. And When you do doing in your own strength, you, you fire an employee when you should just be a little more patient. When you do it in your own strength, you're not fulfilling God's command for your life. So as Tori comes, my conclusion is simple. His wives, submit to your husbands, ultimately because it is fitting to the Lord because God calls you to submit to Him. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church by giving His life for her. Children, obey your parents because this is your act of worship to God. Parents, build up your children rather than provoking them. Employees, work diligently for the work of, for God through your employment. Employers, treat your employees rightly and fairly for, they ser- for you serve God and Master. And We do this Because God has saved us, thus we live for Him. And then we do this by being empowered by Jesus Christ. It's plain and simple. And as we're going to stand and sing this last song together, think about those caps you wear. Think about that mom cap, that dad cap, that work cap, whatever it may be. And ask yourself, where do I need to work on? What does God need to sanctify and teach me in? And I pray that you pour out to God this morning and ask for His grace and mercy in that area of your life. Dear Heavenly Father, we come now and we thank you for this day. We ask you to be with the reflection of your your word that we apply it in the way that you call us to. We live it out as we leave your house today. In your Son's perfect and holy name. Amen.
0: Amazing grace, how sweet a sound that saved us